Now we're going to ask everyone to stand in honor of our graduates as this is graduation recognition Sunday and we're going to ask our graduates to enter at this time. be seated as we begin our service. Just as the waves they're stilled at the mention of his name They'll say my God is still the same As the walls If they still fall at the mighty sound of praise They'll say my God is still the same When did he break his promise? When did his kindness fail? Never has, never will my God is still the same. When did he lose his power? When did his mercy change? Never has, never will. My God is still the same. Oh, my God is still the same. Just ask the words you pray. If it's strong enough to keep hope in his chains, it'll say God is still the same.
Amen. Thank you so much. Well, at this point in our service, we're going to honor our graduates. And first off, I want to say to our graduates and to their parents, congratulations and God bless you. And if you have your bulletin, if you will, pull that out. And I'm going to mention the student's name, their school, and their parents. And then they'll all line up here uh, behind us, uh, high school and college together. First, we have Rachel Anderson, Alexander Central High School. Her parents are Ed and Angela Anderson. Ashlyn Davidson, Alexander Central High School. Parents are Shannon and Alicia Davidson. Savannah Curley, Alexander Early College. Her parents are Jesse and Laura Curley. Mallory Rosa, Alexander Early College. Parents are Misty Kinch and Matthew Rosa. Caden Sigmund, Alexander Central High School. Parents are Shane and Lisa Sigmund. Chesney Stockleather, Alexander Central High School. Parents are Timmy and Angie Stockleather. We're going to ask them to stay on the stage, but those are our high school graduates. Let's give them a hand clap. Congratulations. Next are our college graduates, Hannah Brock, University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Parents are Freddie and Cindy Lou Brock. Gracie Bumgarner, Wilkes Community College. Parents are Frankie and Patsy Bumgarner. Reese Bumgarner, University of North Carolina, Charlotte. Parents are Kimberly and Eric Marlowe, Todd and Tracy Bumgarner. Bailey Matlock, Wingate University. Parents are Eddie and Penny Matlock. Kaylee Travis, Lenore Ryan University. Parents are Jimmy and Tony Travis. These are our college graduates. Let's give them a hand. And these are the East Hills of Baptist Church uh, High School and College graduates of 2022. God bless you, and I hope you all have a wonderful career. And one last thing, I got three words for you. Get a job. Amen. Amen. You're, you're dismissed. Thank you so much. Congratulations, guys. We're going to ask you, if you will, to stand with us as our praise team leads us in song now. Congratulations.
He truly is great. And I want to invite you this morning to come and join me in prayer at the altar. And I want you to remember Phyllis Elder. She's at Iredale. That's Larry, Larry Elder, lives right out here. Remember Phyllis. And also remember Dinah Purser. She's been in the hospital. Pray for her. And I want you to pray for the graduates. You know, as a parent of, of children who graduated, I spent more time in prayer after they graduated because they need your prayers. I'm going to ask you to come and pray for the graduates this morning. They need God's direction in their life as never before. You come this morning. moment of the day every second we need you we totally depend on you father we need to abide within you and you need to abide within us for without you we can do nothing and father this morning we're so grateful that we have you and that we know you that you never forsake us and lord that you never leave us and father we want to pray for the needs of those in need this morning and Father, I pray for Phyllis, that you'd be with her. Lord, as she's at Iredale, I pray you'd just be with her in the room and, Lord, comfort her and bring help and healing to her body. And Father, I pray, Father, that you would be with Dinah. Lord, she's been through a most difficult time these last few months. I pray you would be with her and bring her help and healing. And Father, for the graduates, I pray you'd bless them. I pray you'd guide their lives every day. And Lord, make wise decisions. And Lord, may you order their steps. Lord, may you bless them throughout their lifetime. Lord, bless them spiritually, physically, and monetarily. And Lord, help them to make the wisest choices they can by trusting you every day. And Father, we want to tell you that we love you this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the peace of God that passeth all understanding, that keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, would you bless this time of worship? May you truly be glorified with our praise. And Father, may you be honored with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
was on a blank page My silver's sweet painted sun never rain And love without pain It's funny that life I designed never played out Like I had in mind had some highs hit the ground some ups that went down But one thing that I figured out Joy comes, tears fall I'm learning there is beauty in it all It's not hard to find it Just have to look Oh, God is good moments between oh he's had his hand on everything joy comes tears fall I'm learning there is beauty in it all it's not hard to find it just have to look oh God is Thank you, choir. Thank you, Leslie. I didn't know you forgot the words. I forget the words in my sermons all the time, so y'all don't know about that. But anyway, thank you so much. As they're going down, just a couple things by way of uh, housekeeping. As soon as the service is over, okay, we're going to go into a business meeting, which will not last long at all. And then what we're going to do at the end of that business meeting is we're going to allow our graduates to uh, march out, and then after that, you'll be dismissed for the benefit barbecue for Sandra Presley. Sandra Presley's been a member here, I think, her entire life. Her mother was Kitty Sue Barnes, which a lot of you know uh, her impact and legacy on this church. Uh, Sandra uh, Presley loves East Hazel Baptist Church. Uh, the only reason Sandra probably hadn't been in church because she's been sick, and she was at Duke for many, many days. I had a sister-in-law that was in Duke for 52 days. If you've had a family member that's been to Baptist or Duke with long hospital stays, 
uh, from a personal perspective, I just want to tell you there are great medical costs, okay? So this barbecue will help, uh, help them in a small way benefit uh, or help them financially benefit and, and help pay their hospital bills. And I say that to say this. If you go through uh, the line and the barbecue's all gone, and I hope it's not, but if it is, I would encourage you to give a donation anyway, all right? And, uh, and, and give to this family. Uh, we don't have barbecues unless there's a need. All right, there, and I just want to say that, and just want to say to Sandra and her family, she's one of the most encouraging people um, I've ever met. I think she's had cancer, and I, I hope I'm not saying this wrong, six different times, and has remained faithful to Jesus, and has loved Jesus, and has loved her church. And uh, so I'm honored today to be able to give what I can give to this family, and I hope you will as well. It's just one way to bless. That's the benefits of belonging to a church. A lot of people can give a little to help in a big way. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 16 and stand with me. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 16, uh, the first 18 verses, and we saw that God closed doors in Paul's life, did he not? Let me ask you a question and don't raise your hands. Has God ever closed a door in your life? See, closed doors will do this. I shared this last week. It can cause you to be depressed. It can cause you to get discouraged. But if God closes a door in your life, Paul wanted to go to Asia and share the gospel, and God said no. He shut the door. He went another place, and God shut the door. But when God sent him to Europe, notice all the churches in your Bible that are from Europe. It's amazing. God met Luke because of the closed door, who wrote Acts and the Gospel of Luke. And then, God, and then Paul met Timothy, who, who became the pastor of the church at Ephesus. God's closed doors is God saying this, and I'm saying this from personal experience. I love you too much to allow you to go this way. Amen? I love you too much to allow you to go this way. He goes into the city in Philippi. There are not enough Jewish men, God-fearing Jewish men, to make up a synagogue. So there's women at, at a river having a prayer meeting, and Paul goes and meets with them. He meets a lady named Lydia. An intelligent, savvy businesswoman. She was a seller of purple. Very successful. She's a fearer of God, but she does not know Jesus. Paul speaks the word to her. God opens up her heart. She's the first convert to Church of Philippi. When you read Philippians, she's one of the first ones. Okay, She supported, through her business, Paul's ministry financially. What a blessing. What a blessing. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's a, that's a personal decision that you have to make. I realize as a Christian, I'll stand before God and give an account of what God's called me to do. If God hadn't called you to preach, don't preach. I say that all the time. If God has not called you to sing, do the world a favor and don't sing. And all of God's people said, I promise you I'm not going to sing today, okay? If God has blessed you financially, all right? And what I mean by blessed is this. You have, you have shelter, you have food, you have water, you have a car. I think it would do America good to go to a third world country. I've been there. You know, I thought I was poor growing up. I was very wealthy to live in America. Okay? If God has blessed you financially, what God calls you to do is be a good steward of his money. Okay? And we did a message on that. Where does your money go when you give here? We showed you everywhere. I mean, we just try to be as honest as we can be. That's a personal decision you have to make. Lydia says, I'm going to give you my money. Paul goes back to the riverside, and there's this girl screaming. You know how girls can be. Screaming so much, the Bible, Bible says she is annoying Paul. She was possessed by the devil. And eventually, Paul turns around and sees a girl. Remember that? It was a girl. I said, Paul saw a girl, somebody's daughter, somebody's granddaughter. He saw a girl. 
and spoke the word, the demon came out, gloriously saved. You have two women. Then today, Paul goes to jail. What a blessing. See, God is sovereign in your suffering. God is sovereign in your situations. And God is always sovereign in our salvation. Notice what the Bible says in verse 19. The Bible says this. But when her masters saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them secure, securely. And having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison. It says a lot about the jailer. He didn't have to do that. Notice what else he does. He puts them in stocks. Historically speaking, that's as bad as it gets. The worst place in Alexander County is solitary. I've been there as a minister. The worst place. No, there's no places worse than that. This is solitary. In stocks. All right, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosened. What an earthquake. Now, I've been to, the, to Haiti after the earthquake. Buildings fall. They don't open prisoners' chains and just shake the jail cells so the doors come. It was a supernatural earthquake, and everybody understood that. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And Paul called with a loud voice. Look at that word loud. It means megaphone. Notice everybody left but Paul and Silas. They were the only innocent ones in the prison. He says, do yourself no harm, for we're here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The most important question in your life is that. I asked that question. October 30th, I God is my witness. I asked that question. And I'm thankful that the person I asked the question to could share the gospel. Could you answer that question for somebody? Can you answer it for yourself? What must I do to be saved? So they said, Paul and Silas, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Paul's the greatest theologian to ever live. Now listen to me. What must I do to be saved? Believe on. Believe on. Is that so simple a child can understand? So simple, but it takes all your pride to do it. Isn't that amazing? So simple. There are people in this church today and watching online. There will be a lot of people watching online eventually. Look, and you'll not believe on because you're just too proud. I don't understand that. Do you love your sin that much? Jesus said it's so simple that a child can understand it, but it takes a grown man or woman to humble themselves to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He does, all right? He does, and notice what happens. Notice what happens. Then they spoke the word. Paul says, you'll be saved, and then your whole household will. Then notice verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now look at this verse 34. Now when he had brought them into the house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Isn't it amazing the difference makes? I'm going to kill myself with a sword. Bad way to go, isn't it? To rejoice in Father, as we come to you in prayer, 
I pray that many of us here today would answer this most important question. What must I do to be saved? And I pray that you'd have people in this church, if they're lost, to believe on Jesus today. For your honor and for your glory, in Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. God's sovereignty, point number one, in our suffering. Notice verse 19. The Bible makes this statement, but when her masters, notice these are the priests at the temple of Apollo. And the symbol of Apollo was a python, if you will. They called this lady a pythoness because she could tell the future. The Bible says she, she could tell the future. She was making them money. It says, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone. Notice the word her. And then notice how the world treated her. You know, the Bible doesn't have a hard time with gender issues. The Bible can define a woman. Isn't that amazing? I remember sixth grade at Sugarloaf, we had the birds and bees talk. And at Sugarloaf in the sixth grade, they could define a woman. They could define a woman. I don't have a Ph.D., and I can define a woman. My mom didn't go to uh, uh, college, but she's old-fashioned enough to know that she's a woman, right? And I'll tell you this, graduates, just to help you a little bit. Men can't get pregnant. They can't have menstrual cycles. They can't have abortions because biology is still, to this day, biology. Isn't that amazing? Now listen, you say, that's a political statement. No, it's not. Two plus two is what? Everybody say it. Is that a political statement? Now, I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but the Bible says this. Listen, how can you have a women's march and women's rights if you don't even know what a woman is? How? See, they were degrading a woman. Society and culture today is degrading women. Be proud of who you are, bless God. That's how God made you. Amen? Be proud of who you are. Be proud of who you are. Be a strong. The church at Philippi was started and funded by a woman. An intelligent, business, savvy woman. Every, most commentaries I read, and I love these guys, said her husband probably died. Maybe she was just smarter than everybody else. Maybe she outworked everybody else. Maybe she was just, just a little bit more, uh, had a better work ethic than everybody else. Can we just give the woman a benefit of a doubt? And then this girl. See, they used this girl for their own gain. Her masters. Look, her masters. And that, that makes my heart hurt a little bit. Her masters. We own you, kid. And their prophet was gone, and they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them. Look at the word marketplace. That's the Agora. They have remnants of this place to this day. You can go see them. In, in the Agora, the, uh, what scholars will tell you is this. This is what happens there. It served as a social center of the city. Here the unemployed waited for suitable work. The sick were healed. The magistrates judged court cases out here in the public. In those days, a plaintiff could drag a defendant into court and ask the judge to pass a verdict. The owners of the slave girl were acting according to Roman law when they laid their hands on Paul and Silas and put their grievance before the city authorities. Why? Because the Bible says this, paraphrasing, these men are throwing our city into confusion. They're causing a riot. Why? Because of their religion. That's why. Because of their religion. They're throwing them into confusion, disorder. This is around AD 49 or 50 in Philippi. And see, in order to, to present your religion, you had to go before the, the authorities in the Agora and say, this is the religion we want to present to you. I, I want to worship this tree and call it the bark religion. They'd be like, okay, no, no worries. I want to worship this dog. Call it the bark religion too, all right? 
they'd say, okay, you know. But then the Christians come along and they say this, we got this religion and Jesus is Lord. And they say, no, no. Sound familiar? No, you, you can have all these religions. Rome had tons of, of gods they worshipped. But you can't have Jesus as Lord. And it tore up the city. And notice what happened next in verse 22. It says, take them and beat them. Look at this picture on the screen. These are rods. This is from the 19th century. It's about the same in, the, in Paul's day as well. See all those rods in the red there? Those are fascists. That's where you get the word for fascism. There. As a matter of fact, one scholar put it this way. He said, the city prison was located directly off one side of the Agora. The magistrates had officers called policemen and other translations of verse 35, that's what they're called, who were actually the enforcement officers of the magistrates. Their Latin name was lictors, from which we get our expressions, we got your, your licks or you got your beating. He says, I find it fascinating that the symbol of this office was a bundle of rods with an axe protruding out of it, tied together with a red band called the fascist. The symbol was actually revived by Mussolini for the fascist movement. The Jews who suffered under Mussolini's fascist movement were not the first to suffer. According to verse 22, Paul and Silas suffered a beating that would leave their backs swollen, a swollen, bleeding mass of lacerated skin. Now think about this for a minute. If you're going to scourge somebody, Roman law says 40 strokes, 40, 40 strikes, and they'd do 39 because they didn't want to break the law. If you're beaten with rods, it didn't matter. It was up to the magistrate. That's why Paul said when he was describing his sufferings, he said, Three times I was beaten with rods. And then he says, I was beaten and my stripes were without measure. So who knows how many times they beat these guys. Now notice verse 23, it says this. And when they laid many stripes on them, that's how they put it, okay? They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet. Matthew Chandler spoke about the inner prison and he said this. He, says the, he, he makes this statement. He says, as Westerners, when we think of stocks, now look at inner prison, which is the innermost part of the prison. Then look at the word stocks. He says, as Westerners, when we think of the stocks, we picture New England in the 1700s, the embarrassment and shame of having your head and hands stuck in a public contraption. But that is not what first century Roman Empire stocks were like. These devious contraptions would contort the prisoner's body into all sorts of excruciating postures locking limbs and joints in place to the point of making the entire body cramp. The prisoners' bodies would seize up with searing pain, and then the Romans would just leave the person there for days. Notice that the jailer is not commanded to treat his prisoners this way. The magistrate simply asks him to keep the missionaries safe, and instead he tortures them. So we're not dealing with a very nice man at this moment. This jailer is very good at his job, and he probably likes it more than he should. Does this seem fair? God's sovereign in your suffering. Don't mistake that God's like asleep. God closed the door to go to Asia, right? No prison in stocks right now in Asia. What there is in Philippi. Peter says this to his folks. I don't know if you remember when I showed you the map, I showed you this part of Galatia. That's where all these churches are that Peter writes to in 1 Peter 1. And he writes to them because they're going through similar things or will eventually. And he says this. Who is going to harm you if you're eager for doing good? Now Paul was. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed for their slander, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's see if that pans out. God's, what Peter says, if you suffer for doing good, which means for Christ-like service, then those who slander you and put you to shame like the magistrates did and like the jailer did, he said they'll be ashamed, and God can work that in your life. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't seem fair. The second point is this. Notice God's suffer sovereignty in our situations. Notice verse 25 on the screen. The Bible says this, but at midnight, notice that, it's very important. Paul and them went in there probably around 6. They're not singing at 6. They're not singing at 7. They're not singing at 8. You know why? Because they're human beings. If Paul's like me, this is what I would be like. Lydia got saved. This demon-possessed girl who was hopeless and helpless. Under the spirit of a demon is born again. We're in prison. The innermost prison, stocked up somehow, and we don't know what tomorrow holds. See, at 7 o'clock, that's what you're thinking, right? 8 o'clock, mm, I don't know about this. You think we made the right decision? You ever been there? What about 9 o'clock? Don't get no better. 10 o'clock? Let me, if God's will for you was suffering, how are you going to respond to that? Don't say nothing yet, because it's just 6 o'clock. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, you know what to do? Submit to the sovereignty of God and their suffering. Paul's the man. Silas is the man. When I saw Bud at midnight, I said, whoa, wait a minute. What about, what's, what's the big deal about midnight? Every word in the Bible is important. They had been there a while in solitary this rat-infested dungeon after being beat publicly, which is humiliating, and not only that, but it, I'm sure it hurt really bad. And then they're in stocks. With no hope of getting out, and the jailer's one of the worst jailers you could have. But at midnight, but at midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Now let me ask you a question. Can you sing hymns to God at midnight? If God is sovereign, and if he's your Lord, and that's easy to preach. It's easy to read this verse. But I've been with so many people that sat where you've sat that have done the same thing that they're doing. Paul's no better than them. I've been with people at Baptist Hospital, at Duke Hospital. I've been in every hospital you can be in. I've been with people when the doctor says, you may not have three weeks. And they're singing praises to the Lord. Man, I admire those people. A lot better than I am. I hadn't had that midnight part of my life yet. Paul inside, listen, for some of you at six, don't give up. At seven, don't give up. At eight, don't give up. Twelve o'clock is coming. And God will, through his grace and mercy, allow you to sing in the midnight hour. Spurgeon put it this way. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says, anyone can sing in the day. It is easy to sing when we can read the notes at by daylight, but the mature singer is he who can sing when there's not a ray of light to read by. Man, for some people it's so dark. So dark for some people. Paul and Silas were praying and the prisoners were listening to them. 
I remember seeing Dinah at Baptist, and, you know, Dinah was in a situation where she had pain in her back, goes into surgery, wakes up paralyzed, never walked again. Unless it's a miracle, she's not walking again. And see, by, hopefully we can have a barbecue for her in September because she needs it too, all right? And we were talking about why does, does this happen? I says, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a nurse here that needs you. You know what? Get a text. Hey, pray for this young girl. She come in asking me Bible questions. Out of the blue. I said, isn't that something? Then the next day she says, or the next two days after that, I think it was, she said, and I showed this on a Wednesday night, Wednesday night Bible study. She says, praise the Lord, this nurse got saved. Can you bring her a Bible? Now, friends, let me ask you a question. Are you going to sing at midnight? Because, listen, there's people listening to you and watching you. Harry Einside, he put it best, a great preacher of old, he said this. He said, you may think it far-fetched, but I have an idea that if there were more joy in tribulation, more triumphing being in trouble in our day, we would see more shaking by the power of God. The unsaved people of the world are watching Christians, and when they see Christians shaken by circumstances, they conclude that after all, there is very little to Christianity. But when they find Christians rising above circumstances, glorifying in the Lord, even in the deepest trial, then the unsaved realize the Christian has a comfort to which they're strangers. The world can't have that. It just can't. The world, see, that's joy, a lot different than happiness. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, guess what he talked about? It's the only book in the Bible that Paul wrote that he didn't condemn them for their bad teaching and other things. It was joy, 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 joy. And when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, guess where he was? Prison again. House arrest. Isn't it amazing? The guy always ended up in jail. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. Imagine being the jailer. The third thing we see is this, God's sovereignty and our salvation. Notice what verse 30 and 31 says. And he brought them out. The jailer came out. He was about to kill himself. Okay, He pulled out his sword. Why? Because in Roman law, if you were a prison guard and the prisoner escaped, whatever his sentence was, was given to you. Think about that. Whatever, and they had some bad people in the inner prison. If you go to Alexander County Prison, Scott Hill testified, if you're in solitary, you're just a different dude in prison. Trust me, been there. It's a different breed, okay? You're not in there for shoplifting most of the time. You're not in there for this, that, or the other, all right? Look. And he brought him out. He was going to kill himself because he had rather die that way. Now think about this than be publicly humiliated in front of his family and publicly executed. Guy has no hope. He's worse off than the slave girl at this point. Blue collar, all he's doing is working, trying to get by. Tough guy, all he knows is Roman law. Live by the sword, die by. That's all he knows. He's going to kill himself. Only way out is fall on the sword. What must I do to be saved, he says. Here you singing, praying. Hear all that? Been with you for six hours. What, what do I do? What do you tell? What do you tell some? What would you tell somebody? You know, there was a chaplain years ago of one of our uh, armed services, and he would not let you be a chaplain. This is the one question he asked. He said, "Suppose you go up to a soldier, and he's been shot, and he asks you this question: What must I do to be saved? You tell me in thirty seconds. If they couldn't, you're out." 
you'll never be a chaplain in my army. Praise God, amen. What, what would you tell them, church? Some of you have been saved longer than I have. What would you say? What would you say if there was a wreck out here, and we have them all the time? I have four paramedics that live around me. Two live with, one lives with me now. <laughs> Praise God, she's still there, all right? Now listen to this. Now listen to me when I tell you this. People die all the time in Alexander County. You're oblivious to it. I'm not. Wrecks after wreck. What if you were there and you came on the scene? And they said, I know you go to East Hills of Baptist Church. What must I do to be saved? What would you tell them? And if you don't know, learn it. The first thing I did when I got saved, not long afterwards, because all my friends were lost just about, okay, was this. I had Larry Blakely. I said, tell me how to lead somebody to Jesus and write it right here. I want you to write it in your own handwriting. In my first Bible, he wrote the Romans Road down. And I memorized it. I got the eternal life track and I memorized it. Memorized every word of it. Memorized it. Okay? Memorized every word of it. I remember when I went to CVCC, uh, one of the professors I had, Mr. Mingus, he'd write words up on the board and you'd have to just write them down and then he'd say, I'm going to talk, talk about them. You write down what I say. And I thought, this is crazy. I had notes, notes, and notes, notes, notes. I was lost and I thought, why? This don't make any sense. Then I got saved. And I said, I know how to take notes. This isn't history class. This is the Bible. Take notes, now I'd memorize everything over and over and over again. And then what God did was, God, God, through that, said, you know how to lead somebody to the Lord? Take notes. And I learned how to share Jesus with somebody. Do you know how? The greatest theologian to ever live says this. Believe on. Look at those two words. That's the difference between heaven and hell. It doesn't say just believe. It says believe on. That word means to completely trust in something. Completely. Completely to trust in it. That means that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't just believe on God or religion or a creed. Spurgeon says we're not believing in a creed. We're not believing in our baptism. We're not believing in our denomination. We're believing in Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, Jesus, the Messiah. Rose from the dead. He'd been dead at this time about 17 to 20 years. Believe on him. He's resurrected at the right hand of the Father. Do you believe it? And the Philippian jailer says this. Yes. And what he's saying is this. All the other gods, little G's, in Rome, I don't believe in them. See, he's in worse shape now with Rome than he was before. Because they said you must say Caesar is Lord. You must say Caesar is the Savior. See, that word Savior comes from, from Roman culture because they had to call Caesar Lord and they had to call him Savior because if the barbarians were coming and they did, if they did, and, and Caesar would tell them this, the barbarians are coming and if they win, your daughter is a slave and you don't want to, you don't want to know what they're going to do to her. Your wife is not your wife no longer. Everything you own is theirs. But your Lord and Savior, Caesar, is going to save you. And guess what they did? Their army was the greatest on the planet for years. And then along comes Jesus. No, you're not our Savior. God is our Savior. So this, this Philippian jailer says, Caesar is not my Savior. Jesus is. And in those days, that was pretty much a death sentence. Tradition says that Paul was beheaded by Rome's Lord and Savior, Nero. 
because he wouldn't bow the knee to Nero. Believe on. That word believe means to trust in. That word means this. I believe it. I'm the most skeptical person on the planet. I told you I don't believe in Bigfoot. I'm sorry. You can send me all the articles. Unless I see that dude and shake his hand, I don't believe in him. Okay? But I believe in Jesus. Historically born, historically lived, historically died, and historically rose from the dead. If that didn't happen, you don't have faith. See, Paul's not saying have blind faith in Peter Pan. He's saying have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died some years ago in Jerusalem and rose from the dead. John put it this way, but as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. In Acts 2, it says this over and over again. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Acts 4, but many of those who had heard the message believed. Look at the word. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Acts 8, but when they believed Philip's preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized men and women alike. Acts 9, it became known all over Joppa that many believed in the Lord. Acts 11, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number of who believed turned to the Lord. Acts 13, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When Peter was standing before the religious, religious leaders, he said, there's no other name given by God under heaven that'll save other than Jesus Christ. And that's a paraphrase. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask your musicians to come as we're getting ready to close. And I'll ask you this question. Look at the word be saved. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Verse 34 says that this suicidal man goes from one moment wanting to fall on the sword to the next moment he rejoices. I think that's why when Paul was writing to the church at Rome, now remember this is a Philippian jailer, but he's under Roman rule. Paul says this, Now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, there's that word, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? That's what this man is going through. Now I'll ask you this question. We learned this in the EE. Similar question in faith. And this is what I would ask you today. Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you died today, you would go to heaven? I can answer that question in a second. Not thinking about it, no doubts. See, John said this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that Greek word is oida, that you have eternal life. That means absolute assurance with no doubts. Do you believe? I want you to stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'm going to pray. And after I pray, this invitation's open. And if you've never believed, we're going to encourage you and ask you to believe today. Place your faith in Jesus. Place your faith in Him. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, the invitation to salvation is so simple. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, if there's anyone here today who has not believed, I pray that today they would. Father, just like you sent an earthquake to awaken this Philippian jailer's spiritually dead heart, I pray that through the Holy Spirit you would do that to men and women and boys and girls today. This is your time. 
And these are your people. And I pray that this invitation bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This altar is open if you need to respond this morning. seated as we go into our business meeting. If you're a visitor and you'd like to go and go out in the foyer or wherever you can, it's not going to be a long business meeting. So do I have a motion we'll be seated for business? This is our quarterly business meeting. Do I have a motion? Do I have a second? All in favor say aye.